It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down American loser, the day I was born Well, uh, founding losers, you guys uh, know what time it is. This is your monthly bonus exclusive episode of American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place and takes $5 out of your wallet every month. But thank you very much for that. So we are live at a shared universe podcast studio. Ming is behind uh, doing the ones and twos here. Kahuna will not come back to the studio until the threat is over. Not COVID, my sister. Uh, so <laughs> you go. he lives very much in fear of her at all times. But uh, Lawrence Patrick, say hello to the, the founding losers, will you? Hey, the founding losers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, you guys are just awesome for making this all possible. We really, really appreciate you. Yeah, it's the only way I can pay the bills around here. So I'm very grateful <laughs> yeah. for that. Um, with us in studio again. So she was on uh, last week with us. And then uh, we brought her back in here for this one. Fresh off parole, Carrie Burke, how are you? I'm good. How are you? That's, <laughs> uh, we're good. You uh, did very well last week. So we're, we're going to throw you in. Uh, you're getting promoted. You're bumped up to the majors now. This is Patreon territory. It's exciting. Care. It is. So don't fuck up. That's what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> oh, man. You're right. Pressure's on. But one I do got to go ahead and give another shout out over to uh, everybody in the founding losers. We're at 54 people right now over in the Patreon. So we are cooking with gas. We cover our bills. Anything else I have goes into promotion or stuff like that. Or occasionally I try to fill my father's tank of gas. Uh, yeah, cooking with gas or filling the tank with gas. It's one good. or the other. Right. Yeah. There's days we don't eat around right. here. Okay. Slim pickings over at American Loser Patreon exclusive stuff. But you guys are fantastic. You really are the reason why the show gets to continue. So every time that if you find someone else that listens to the show, and, uh, you know, you talk about it, which we appreciate. We've been getting some really good reviews. Make sure you let them know that I actually am a Patreon member, sir, and look down on them. OK, because they are lesser than you. But no, because of you guys and your awesome donations, uh, you get to we get to do the deep dives on the history stuff here. And the Tuesday show is free. So it's like PBS, but uh, funding alcoholism. So <laughs> very excited. Um, it's Halloween, right? It is Halloween. So we got to talk about something kind of spooky here. We're in that season for sure. It sure is. And um, and Halloween is more than just a day. It's like St. Patrick's Day. It's more than a day. That's, it's that's a season. pumpkin spice everywhere. That's right. Pumpkin spice. Pumpkin is spice on. everything. Um, it's going to be weird seeing slutty Halloween costumes this year where uh, the mask is probably the biggest piece of fabric some of them are going to be wearing. <laughs> but I'm not against it. So uh, I'm very excited about this topic, actually, because we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive here. When I was... Uh, when I was taking a short story class over at Brookdale Community College, uh, one of the professors that was over there, I can't remember his name for the life of me, but he used to blend history and the literature. It was pretty cool, right? So you would be reading, say, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, you'd read Fall of the House of Usher, right? And then uh, he'd give you a history lesson and explain to you the background story of Edgar Allan Poe and what you know, he was up to in his time. So it was really very fun to, to do a dive in on this one. But the more you start researching writers, the more you realize um, just how god awful their lives are. These are not lucky people. Every loser in American history is essentially an American loser already. Right, he starts out. I mean, that's a prerequisite. It really is, man. So when we cover a writer on the show, we're just talking about him in general. There's a pattern of hard luck, if you will. Uh, a lot of writers will achieve success only well after their death. So Poe has no idea how popular he is. You know. <laughs> right. 
But uh, I did want to mention a couple of things here. Uh, most of them barely scrape by during their own life. And today's loser is uh, straight up fascinating, though, because he got to enjoy um, some celebrity during his own life. And I, again, he was pretty well thought of in his time, but even more so afterwards. But Carrie, uh, before we started talking about this, what did the name Washington Irving mean to you? Uh, well, I've been to Sleepy Hollow, Tarrytown area. Um, oh, yeah. Instant. Iconic. Yeah. So I I haven't been to his house, uh, which is still there. It is open for tours. Um, it's, uh, yeah, his manor known as uh, Sunnyside. Sunnyside, yeah. yeah. Which, um, uh, but that was pretty much it. I know Ichabod Crane yep. came from him, but that was the extent of my knowledge. I, I wonder if he knew that that was going to be the work that he's most remembered for. Because during his own time, he wrote a couple of things that we're going to cover today. They're pretty well thought of. Right. So. That you don't attribute to him. Did you exactly. guys have to read any of that in, in school? Well, uh, well hey. everybody would do The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. That's this time of year. Okay. But I read Rip Van Winkle as a kid. Right. Um, I mean, it's. I read one or, other, one or two other works of his that um, I think he just kind of perused through. Because you're like, oh, yeah, sure. I read it for a class assignment or something. Right. But. I mean, uh, Washington Irving, what does that mean to you at the top of your head, Lawrence Patrick? Well, again, it's pretty much what, what Kerr just said. You know, you, the Ichabod Crane kind of thing comes in, and I think a lot of people confuse Washington Irving with Ichabod himself, which yeah. is actually <laughs> yeah. a writer that, uh, you know, as a writer, he created that character. But um, And as a kid, I was taken uh, to um, Tarrytown as well for, you know, <laughs> a family trip. If you, Just as I took, grabbed you guys to take you on historical trips here and there, were, we would call it vacations, but they would always end up at a battlefield or a fort or something. But um, I don't think we ever got over to uh, as far away as White Plains, New York, that uh, or Tarrytown. Well, it's an interesting area because uh, Tarrytown has an old music hall in it still because Tarrytown is a very cool little town in general. Uh, my buddy stays at uh, from Ross Brewing, Matt McDade. He'll stay at uh, Lynnhurst Manor up there, which is pretty cool. And Sunnyside, pretty much right down the street. Yeah, it a, little, a little stroll down the river away. Yeah. yeah. And they certainly took the Washington Irving um, fame. Mythos. And really created a whole um, tourist industry out of it. Yeah, oh, yeah. they did. It's, uh, well, I mean. Especially around this time of year. Yeah. Exclusively almost around this time of year. It's cool. It's a nice place in the summer and everything, too. But um, we got to get into uh, the guy's background, though, because we know we're talking about him so positively here. But how could he possibly be a loser? Well, let me explain. <laughs> so he's an interesting guy. He coined terms that are still used in the modern parlance. So anytime you hear someone refer to something as the almighty dollar, that's literally coined by uh, Washington Irving himself. So he uh, he's also considered um, he met the father of the nation, if you will, and he was named after him. He had a pro basketball team named after a prank that he pulled and his works are known by everyone on planet Earth. So where does the losing come in? Well, it's because no one knows how much credit this man truly deserves. He's well thought of, but people think he's like a one hit wonder or something. You know, it's like when you have to explain to people that uh, Leonard Skinner did more songs than just Freebird. You know, <laughs> people got a little more it. in his repertoire than exactly. Is that a one hit wonder? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Now he's uh, he's pretty fascinating. So Washington Irving, born in New York City, baby, to a uh, merchant class family. Irving was the youngest child in a large but well off Scottish and Cornish family. Yeah, uh, he's one of 11 kids. I mean, he was the youngest of 11. So. The runt. <laughs> yeah. And they had multiple Williams. <laughs> you talk about uh, that one confuses a lot of, me. Right? A lot of brothers and sisters. I mean, that's a that's a whole tribe. 
Yeah, it's uh, and again, like Kerry said too, though there there were two Williams in the family, and I think um, you know back then you had larger families because it was pretty. Unfortunately, it was common for kids to die, so <laughs> you're just like, all right, let's play on a numbers game alone. Let's just make sure we'll get at least eight out of them that wind up living. Yeah, it's like the Irish that recycle the names. <laughs> That's it. Francis over Patrick, over. Patrick Francis, Francis Patrick, <laughs> Lawrence Back Patrick, Kevin Patrick, Patrick Stewart. Um, William one, William two. It really is the, the truth on that. William Jr. Well, uh, he's born in an interesting time to be in New York City. He's uh, born pretty much around the exact time that the news travels to Manhattan. Because, again, there's no um, there's no you can't turn on CNN and find out the American Revolution's over. But the good people of Manhattan at this time find out that, hey, the Washington and all those drunk dudes from Massachusetts and Philly, they pulled it off, man, that we're an independent country now. Yeah. So they actually name him uh, after George Washington, who is already a popular guy in his own time, but about to become even more popular. We haven't had a president yet when he's born, but uh, his mother names him after uh, the nation's new hero, George Washington. So Yeah, he's born in 1783, and uh, it's the same year that the revolution really came to an end. So his uh, mother names him after mm-hmm. Georgie Washington. Yeah, it was either that or uh, it, he's almost named Cornwallis. But uh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, he had one of those. <laughs> Cornwallis Irving, that doesn't really ring. No, it wouldn't be the best move here. And Washington Irving, again, that sounds like, uh, you know, he's going to be an old Jewish guy or something like that. Irv, what's up, buddy? <laughs> How you doing? But no, he's a pretty cool dude. He's born around, like I said, that same exact time frame here. Uh, he actually gets to meet George Washington. So meet the guy that you got named after. Uh, I mean, meeting any president is pretty cool. But it was in uh, 1789. Then President Washington met a young Irving and uh, blessed him. Right. So it's uh, kind of a cool thing. So you meet the guy that you're named after, you know, and it's uh, he actually it was a pretty big moment for old Washington, too. He wound up having a painting made in order to commemorate that moment. So that I believe is still hanging up in Sunnyside right now. Yeah, he actually he's a six year old kid and he's at Washington's uh, inauguration. And uh, that's when he he meets, you know, the now president. And to the, the guy that he was named after. And I think Washington puts his hand on his head kind of a thing to give him a, a pat on the head kind of a thing or take it as a blessing or whatever. But, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty cool stuff. Again, it's uh, it's pretty cool when you're meeting the president. Uh, and again, Washington was like godlike status even in his own time, too. So pretty cool moment. You know, it's a uh, Carrie. Did you um, what would be a celebrity you would freak out about if you met Derek Jeter? But we met him twice. Yeah, when we were younger. So you want to meet him again? Oh yeah, that's a <laughs> who wouldn't? Yeah, right. See, even <laughs> Jeter's got a power to him, man. You know how many dogs are probably named Jeter? <laughs> I know a couple. There's some kids named Jeter too, for sure. Absolutely. So now Jeter's going to meet a kid that's named after him one day. So probably. We'll see what happens there. But um, I thought that was kind of a cool little moment there. Again, that piece of artwork that's commemorating him and everything. But. Uh, more on his uh, home in Sunnyside later. We're going to get into that in a second. But uh, Irving as a kid, much like uh, all geniuses, is a uh, uninterested student. Okay. He would be a podcaster if he was uh, alive in these modern times. I here, can I think. see that. That's a little bit boring. of a- Boring. Yeah, right. Oh, he's School's got, boring. Yeah. <laughs> he's got some stand-up comedy chops to him too, as we're going to get into the, the good sense of humor he has. But he would routinely skip class to go see theater productions. I mean, what do you expect when you're growing up in the village? You know what I mean? That's where he was. He's in lower Manhattan. Of course, you're going to, oh, uh, I guess I'll get involved with, uh, you know, the art scene. You can either sit in class and learn arithmetic or go watch a drag show. What are you going to do? <laughs> but anyway, uh, he showed a, a fixation and a fascination with stories in all their forms. 
right? Sound like anybody you know, Kerry? No, definitely <laughs> not. His, uh, his older brothers encouraged him to pursue his passion for writing. And uh, much like every other writer in Lower Manhattan, Irving would take his Chromebook to the nearby Starbucks and work on a screenplay. <laughs> yeah. Right. That was a game we used to play um, when we'd go into uh, um, a Starbucks or anything like that. Is uh, whoever, it was a girl I was dating at the time, it was a running game with her where if we went into Starbucks, we'd have to bet over under for how many people were going to be there working on a project with their laptop out in front of them. So if you bet the over and then, you know, it covered, then they had to buy the coffee. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah. Starbucks, that's where I, mean, I like to imagine that because there are some cool hangouts in New York City for old school writers and stuff. Um, and I'm sure Irving was probably bouncing around a couple of taverns back in the day a little bit. But uh, anyway, it's interesting. There's a much like COVID now, there's an outbreak of a yellow fever that hits Manhattan hard. OK. And they send uh, Irving gets sent upriver, if you will, um, upstate to a location that's going to become uh, the scene of two of his most famous works. So. Carrie, you want to guess what one of the places he's going to stay in is called? Um, I'm going to go with Tarrytown. Yep. So he's up in the Catskills. And, uh, you know, his other most famous work, if you will, takes place firmly in the Catskills. And that being LP, you know the name of the story. Sleepy Hollow. You bastard. No, well, I mean, sort of, yes, that one's right. But I was trying to set you up for Rip Van Winkle. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Yeah, but he was sent out of the city because of this uh, um, yellow fever epidemic that's going on. And. You know, to get somebody out of the city that would be uh, deemed to be safer rather than in close quarters. And, you know, your, your personal spacing, six foot spacing in the city was a little difficult. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> would be up in Tarrytown. So, yeah, was, that was the sticks. That was the boondocks back back then. Yeah. So de Blasio shuts the city down and Irving has to go up to uh, go hang out and go move out. The Catskills. Move to the burbs. Well, it's interesting because while he's up there, the Catskills had, by his own admission, a, quote, bewitching effect on young Irving. Because it's a beautiful place. I mean, it's awesome up there. A lot of people wrote about a lot of stuff in here. Another one of my favorite authors is going to uh, come in here later on, too. But uh, the Catskills is a cool place. So um, this bewitching effect that it has on him, it impacts his imagination a lot. And uh, kind of an enchanted woods vibe, if you will. And while he's staying with a friend in Tarrytown, like Kerry said, young Washington learns about some of the Dutch ghost stories and folklore in uh, the nearby town of uh, Sleepy Hollow. So obviously he's going to create the headless horseman, you know, but he Irving gets a little bit of a bad rep. He takes stories that everybody was telling each other and then makes them like, you know, he, he's not trying to pass them off as his own original concepts, but he is taking stories that you would just tell around, um, you know, uh, the tavern, if you will, or a, a spooky story you got told as a kid. And then he would make it into a, a big project or something. But he didn't invent the concept of uh, a headless horseman. A headless horseman exists in a couple of places, but I don't know if you knew this, Lawrence Patrick. You're usually well versed in all things Irish. <laughs> did you know that uh, that they had a headless horseman in Irish folklore? They did. They did, and uh, yeah, a lot of these um, go in, in the Tarrytown area. There was a heavy Dutch and dramatic influence, and a lot of those old stories that were told around the fireside in the in the taverns and stuff. That he would put his own spin on it, but the, the headless oh, yeah. horseman. Uh, in this, in that particular area, was um, I believe that the tale goes back to the Revolutionary War that there was Hessians who were mercenary soldiers mm -hmm. that played the by Christopher fight. Walken. There yeah. you go. <laughs> that uh, you know he lost his head in a in a battle during the Revolution, and he's running around now trying to find his trying to find his head. So <laughs> that's a little scary. Well, it's a creepy story to begin with, but uh, the idea of um, a headless horseman goes back to, like I said, Irish folklore. It was known as the Dullahan, 
So if anybody wants to ever Google that one, Google the Doolahan. I think it's D-U-L-L-A-H-A-N or something like that. But pretty spooky thing there. And when you look at it, it's uh, it's very um, very obvious that that's where some of the inspiration came from. But uh, Irving begins his writing career at age 19. What was I doing at age 19, Kara? Joining the Navy? Yep. Uh, or skipping school. Oh, uh, sk- skipping school. Yeah, he would have already Navy. been out of Just school. Just to clarify, then. too, some people are- um, Oh, wait. He was held back a year, so <laughs> never mind. Well, at skipping school, what he's referring to is the uh, semester I did at Bergen Community that there is no academic record of. I didn't know you did it semester there. Oh, it was terrible. You were senior in high school. Still. He did. He did a semester there, but it was about as far as the parking lot. Right. Yep. I used yeah. to go to school, fall asleep in the parking lot, there. wait till the classes were over and go home. Because he didn't do a semester there. Hated it. Hated it. But anyway, I wound up down at Brookdale. I'll plug Brookdale all day. Good creative writing program there where Irving would have found himself quite at home. But uh, his career begins uh, inauspiciously enough. At age 19, he starts essentially blogging, right? That's what he's doing. He's writing letters to the Morning Chronicle in uh, New York. Uh, that's the paper that he's writing to. And he would use the first but far from the last of his pen names. So you said earlier, Dad, that people confuse him and Ichabod Crane. Right. Well, that's going to happen a lot. This guy writes under a lot of different names. Right. He plays he around with narratives. Some, right. He uses a lot of pen names, if you will. But uh, um, this whole writing thing was really supported by his o- older brothers, too, that they enabled him to uh, continue writing. You oh, yeah. Didn't have to go out and work for a living kind of a thing. Usually by 19, you're, you should be well underway with your whatever career you might choose. Yeah, back then, uh, 19, you're middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But his first name is going to be, uh, I thought this was a good one, Jonathan Old Style yeah. is the first name that he writes under. Better than New Style. That's it. <laughs> I'm Johnny Old Style. How you doing? Johnny Old yeah. Style, yeah. What's yeah. going on? Yeah, I'm from New York. That's uh, But anyway, uh, he used that and created a little bit of uh, notoriety to himself, too. So he's kind of picking up a little bit of a following here. He's uh, It's like he's tweeting pretty much what it is. Well, do you know the, the co-publisher of The Chronicle? No. Aaron Burr. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, wow. Um, cool. He was actually a fan. Of his. That's your first lose reception here. Yep. Aaron Burr was a big, big fan um, and actually would pass the letters because that was Washington Irving's thing. He was known as America's first man of letters. And uh, he kept up with correspondence, diligent writer, always got into it. Um, but Aaron Burr was actually such a fan of his that he had his daughter read some of the stuff that he would pass the letters on to Aaron Burr's daughter, Theodosia. Um, who tragically disappears at sea. Um, you would know more about that if you listen to the Aaron Burr episode there you of go. American Loser back <laughs> in year one, baby. And for our uh, our founding fathers of, of Loserdom here, or the Patreons, we're, they're probably familiar with that. But oh, yeah. um, actually, the paper was his brother Peter's newspaper. So, you know, he's he's kind of being taken under wing by, by Peter and giving him giving him a job, if you will. Yeah, write, write some stuff for the newspaper. Good old nepotism. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Washington Irving covered the Aaron Burr uh, treason trial. So uh, he was he was right there in the, you know, another lose reception with the with the Aaron Burr episode that we did. Jesus. And, uh, and uh, in that courtroom meeting, uh, Burr is his chief adversary is uh, general james wilkinson another loser exception so there you go um it's like game of thrones man they all hang out at the same time they just don't know it yeah, yeah. there's a, a lot of a lot of the paths being crossed here for sure and unless you do the research you don't know that their paths are crossed yeah yeah i so. would never think of washington irving and aaron burr Nope, but there they were, buddies, at least admir- you know, admirers in, of one another. They were in the same room together, right? The they one's knew each covering, other. One covering his trial. 
as a newspaper guy. Well, I imagine if you knew him beforehand, you'd sit there and you'd be like, ooh, so uh, this is pretty cool. I'm friends with a, a former vice president. This is fantastic. And then he has that, you know, the bad rep that comes with me. He goes, ooh, I'm going to have to distance myself from you a little yeah, bit here, right, Bert. Right. I got a writing career to keep up with. <laughs> but Irving's health around this time is becoming an issue too, though. And uh, his brothers arranged to send him traveling throughout Europe in order to recover. It must be nice. Being a merchant class family. Hey, I don't feel so good. Ooh, Italy. <laughs> yeah, Europe. Just go. Yeah, yeah. Take a vacation. Have a good time. Take some time off and hmm. kick back and Well, he enjoy. was a smart kid too. So they, they were sending him over there. And actually his uh, his brother, um, his brothers even wrote to him that they were like, they were getting annoyed at him because he would be over there and then he would like skip through Florence or something like that. And he was kind of, this is where he gets to be an interesting guy here. So Irving is supposed to go see all the sites and the museums and the art, like all the stuff that's going to help develop his mind and make him an educated man, if you will. And uh, he's actually hanging out in taverns, maybe drinking a little bit too much wine here and there, bullshitting at parties. But he's developing that social skill that's going to wind up making him the most sought after party guest in American history after this. So Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy to have at your party, for sure. Oh, yeah. It's a, just like Ming and I uh, last night at the Ross Brewing launch party, buddy. There it's, you go. <laughs> Ming told us earlier, too, he had such a great time. You can tell it's a good time when you have to wake up in the morning and uh, ask for a ride back to your car. That's <laughs> <laughs> and people tell you what a great time you had, and you have no recall of that. <laughs> There's pictures. So. We have evidence. But uh, he's developing these uh, this set of social skills, if you will, um, that later makes him, like I said, a very sought after party guest. He's learning to charm, bullshit, joke and cavort like none other. OK. And uh, if Kahuna was here, I would ask him to do a casting couch pick for this, which, by the way, anybody who's concerned about Kahuna, um, don't be. He is um, uh, being held hostage by the Muppets. Essentially, yes. It's uh, <laughs> uh, Big Bird and uh, Oscar the Grouch held a rifle to his head and he got to speak to us via Zoom meeting yesterday. But. Um, for the casting couch, my pick to cast Washington Irving, normally we do this at the end, but I want to set it up now because I want to give you guys an idea of this. My personal favorite comedian is Colin Quinn. I think Colin Quinn would be the perfect Washington Irving. All right. Both New Yorkers, right? Um, both smart guys, both a little sarcastic. You know what I mean? You kind of hear if you as we talk about some of the pranks that Washington Irving plays, you can kind of almost hear him talking out of the side of his mouth when he's doing it, like to see if he can get away with it. A strong sense of history, too, that, uh, you know, where Washington Irving was able to bring in some of these uh, past uh, folk tales and stuff from the from the Dutch heritage and everything else. That, oh, yeah. Uh, he would have a, a complete. Uh, understanding of all that. Yep, absolutely. So I like that one off uh, the top of my head. You think of one for later at the end of the episode, Karen. You let me know what you think think on that. But um, So that's my casting couch one right there. But uh, after palling around with uh, some boys that would become known as the Lads of Kilkenny, all right, so maybe maybe old Washington Irving's got a little, he's Scottish and Cornish. Maybe there's a little sympathy for the old Irish folk for him. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're all right. That's a, well, they like to the party. They do sure they? do. And <laughs> Irving is known uh, to be quite the, uh, the the party guest as well. So uh, Irving and his cohorts start what's essentially broken down to me as a, a mad magazine type publication called uh, Salamundi. And they would write satirical blogs and where they mocked New York City culture and politics. So essentially, it's like he came. He pretty much did the onion. Right. That's what he's doing. He's doing Sounds the onion. About, yeah. Yeah. So it's very interesting here. Pen names during this time would include Lancelot Longstaff. Okay. <laughs> so old Irv likes to throw out some dick jokes. There you go. And uh, William Wizard. So that's another one. Alliteration too there. WW baby. So. LL. <laughs> You're right. I didn't even think about that one. The um, He's got some other pretty interesting uh, nicknames. The most famous one, obviously, we're going to get to in a second. Uh, during this time, Irving gave, like I said, he coined the term the almighty dollar. 
So yep, you, that was one of his for sure. Guess what another one of his was. And I, I mean, I'll tell you what, because I think Ming's going to like this one just because of the, uh, obviously, comics and uh, comic book men have provided all this for us, dude. Um, he nicknamed, he's the first person ever, Washington Irving, to use the term Gotham and in terms of describing New York City, which apparently comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word. Did you know that off the top of your head or no? Uh, no, I had no, I had no idea. I had uh, no idea. Never it, heard of that. So it trips me out, dude. So because um, then uh, I think Edgar Allan Poe talks about it as well. But Gotham means uh, goat's town in Anglo-Saxon. So it's like a joke that he's trying. But now you hear Gotham and we, we immediately go to Bruce Wayne and the Joker. And, yeah. So it should be Goatman. 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 Right. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's a Goatman. Goat Seaman. Don't ever look at that. Um yeah, so essentially you're right, Mink. Batman defends Goatstown. So. Yeah, and Gotham is also, uh, again, in English history, was a, a village that was known as a, a village of fools, that these people were just absolutely ridiculous in, mm -hmm. in all things. That doesn't sound like New York at all. No, right? so there's another little jab at, at New York City by just calling it Gotham. It's like a, the city of fools. So He likes to hold a mirror up to it. So that, that original sarcastic Manhattan attitude is really coming through for uh, good old Washington Irving here. But it's around this timepiece that uh, Irving's crowning achievement is about to happen here. This is going to be the one that sets him up for success for the rest of his life. The brothers are sponsoring him. You know what I mean? He's got a little bit of a name. He's a little bit of a he's definitely from like a socialite type family. But uh, this one's the one that sets him up where they're just like, see, the bet paid off, man. We're good to go here. He's going to write his masterpiece, uh, a complete history of New York from the beginning of the world to the end of the Dutch dynasty. Uh, and you want to guess what name he used, Carrie? You know this. I know it because I looked it up. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to murder the first name. Diedrich. Uh, Diedrich Knickerbocker. Yep. Diedrich Knickerbocker is the name that he came up with for this. Yeah, so that's, again, another um, pen name that he's taken on. So he's he's not oh, putting it's... his name to that. He's, he's going by Diedrich Knickerbocker. And that is, by the way, the full title. The full title includes the author's yeah, name. Yeah, that's a catchy, that's a catchy uh, title. Yeah. Right? It's, uh, it's a, a little wordy. Well, the Complete History of New York from the Beginning of the World to the End of the Dutch Dynasty by Dietrich I Nickelbacher. think I fell asleep halfway through that. Did you say that again? <laughs> After Complete History, you lost me, right? <laughs> well, we got to ask, um, we gotta ask a question boring. now, though. Who is Dietrich Knickerbocker? So, well, for starters, for starters, <laughs> doesn't exist. Not a real person. He is the Jacksonville Comedy Festival of people. Okay. <laughs> um, for those who know. <laughs> That's right, though. Uh, Irving just plain makes this guy up. He creates a false author as an angle to write the story in, if you will. Um, it's a satirical and humorous take on the self-importance placed by New York City on its history and its culture. So, again, he's mocking the city. He goes, oh, yeah, you know, it, again, picture Colin Quinn doing New York Story. That's really what I see when I hear about this one. But where uh, Quinn already has a big enough name to sell tickets that people are going to, you know, he's going to get the Netflix deal and everything. Irving is modestly well known, but he has to have a plan in order to drum up interest in a book. So I, I like the way he did this. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty clever. It's, <laughs> well, for weeks leading up to the release of the book, <laughs> he would put out ads in the paper claiming Dietrich Knickerbocker has disappeared. It was missing persons reports he was putting in there. <laughs> Milk cartons too. Milk <laughs> <laughs> right. Lost cat. Have you seen this man? Yeah, Craigslist. <laughs> um, 
But uh, he keeps saying, hey, this guy's disappeared. And he puts up several missing persons ad in the paper in which he describes uh, Mr. Knickerbocker, if you will, as this crusty old Dutch historian that had gone missing from his New York City hotel room. The ads would continue to run more and more desperately. It got so serious, by the way, that the cops put out a reward for information on help us find our lost, you know, <laughs> our lost puppy slash Dutch historian. He escaped the asylum. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Mr. Knickerbocker, uh, unfortunately, is uh, they, they had put out a thing in the paper saying, if you do not pay your hotel bill soon, sir, we're going to be forced to publish this manuscript we found in your. So remember when Blair Witch Project came out? Oh, yeah. And you couldn't tell if it was real or not. Mm-hmm. And people are like, this footage was found, you know, yeah. kind of a thing. That's essentially what he's doing right here. He goes, we're going to publish this uh, this spooky manuscript or whatever. We don't know what the deal is. a missing person here. And uh, I mean, we're going to have to do it. It's the only any money we make will just go to the hotel bill that this guy vanished into thin air. Right. On. So uh, book comes that's out. That's how I pay my bills now. That's a <laughs> <laughs> you got a book Have coming out? a missing person. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. That's what we need to do for Patreon. There's a difference <laughs> between doing the skedaddle and uh, missing persons, right? Yeah. A lot of you guys don't know this. Uh, there is no such thing as the kahuna. It's a character that Ming's been playing for us. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but book comes out, large critical and commercial success, which is uncommon for the time. That's not – you're not supposed to be a, a hit like this in the literary world. You know, this is one of the first times it's happened, especially in the new country. So an American writer that was doing a creative piece, that turning a profit, that's a new idea, man. Yeah, that, that for, for a writer to turn a profit rather than having his stuff stolen and, and some oh, other yeah. publisher uh, making well, money. Off well, that comes in later, too. Work, yeah. Thomas Paine was a household name for, you know, his kind of writing that he was doing and but stuff he made like no that. Money off of it. He didn't make any money off of it. And then he also uh, his stuff had to be nonfiction. He was writing about the times. Right. Fiction meets sarcasm meets hyperbole meets satire. You know, Irving's doing some good work over here. Um, Thomas Paine had now become a household name for this kind of type of fiction he's creating. And the work resonates with uh, the public. So he's now a local celebrity here. People know who Washington Irving is. His character stunt with uh, Dietrich Knickerbocker uh, eventually it was hilarious, obviously. First of all, that's just a funny game yeah, to run. He put out a missing persons report on a guy that doesn't exist. It's a <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. It's uh, it's very interesting too, by the way, that eventually the uh, the Knickerbocker name just came to be uh, um, kind of a, a pseudonym, if you will, for calling someone who's from Manhattan. So you know, like oh, the Manhattanites, or uh, you know, a New Yorker, or anything like that. They were actually just calling oh, the Knickerbockers over in uh, Manhattan, the Isle of Manhattan, if you will. And uh, eventually, they kind of took to it. It was done sarcastically at first, but it became uh, an endearing name, if you will. So much so. You want to give this one away, Care? Oh, uh, they called the New York Knickerbockers basketball team. Yep. So next time you see Patrick Ewing, he proudly represents a team built on a hoax right. about a missing Dutch historian. Isn't the team a hoax? It's a well. They, the I believe the Knicks stopped playing in the nineties. <laughs> they're missing persons. <laughs> they're a missing person report too. Yeah, um, they're missing persons now. Are fans? Right. But, um, yeah, but that whole Knickerbocker thing too—that that, that took on a whole another life of itself too. Because then, just by the way Washington Irving described um, the garments worn by some of the people in his stories, mm-hmm. that that um, you know, breeches tied at the at the knee kind of a thing became known as knickers. That uh, that became a whole a whole thing unto itself. That it was more than just the Knickerbockers or New York City people being known as. Uh, Knickerbockers or Knicks, but yeah, it was it was pretty cool the way that uh, something fictitious made up took on a whole life of its own. It's uh, it's not the first time or the last time he's going to do it too, because he's been 
kind of doing these blogs, if you will, all that other stuff we were talking about earlier. Then this one's the one that puts him on the national scene. Though. People know who he is now. There's You're getting access to this. People want to read the book. So um, unlike many others, uh, Irving was actually very kind and encouraging to anybody else who was writing. He liked people that he wanted to be around writers all the time. And as the editor of uh, one of his own papers, he was one of the first major publications to reprint a poem called The Defense of Fort McHenry. Any idea who wrote that, Kerr? Um, I think uh francis scott key yes um it's <laughs> but i know it is a different name yeah uh, that's another rebranding if you will yeah. it kind of works out it's a uh, hey uh you know we're gonna go with this like imagine if uh i always laugh whenever you hear like whatever um other bands were gonna name themselves so before it turned into pearl jam they were gonna call themselves mookie blaylock <laughs> that's <laughs> who was a basketball player oddly enough but uh, yeah francis scott key had a poem he had written called the defense of fort mchenry that is now known as, go ahead, Kerr. Star Spangled Banner. Yep. And uh, we've been there. Another one of the family vacations. Dad took us to Fort McHenry. Absolutely. McHenry. Wait, is it a fort? Fort McHenry. Uh, I think fort we've been McHenry. there. It's the truth. Uh, when you go to forts as a kid uh, for vacations, it, uh, it it's very fun. But then you hear other people like, yes, yeah, so I was in Cabo for uh, spring break. Got my like, hair braided. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. If we could just get someone to braid our hair at Fort McHenry, we could have <laughs> just blended in. We went to the Inner Harbor of Baltimore. That's right. <laughs> you came home with braids. I came home with a fake musket. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong. And they're still at the house, too. That's the best part. <laughs> well, uh, earlier we mentioned that Washington was born at the end of the Revolution. So he's certainly a patriotic fella. He's named after George Washington, right? But the War of 1812, which we're going to cover in depth for um, – Another episode, I think. Yeah, I think that's a, a loser. There's a lot of losing American going on over there. That, that nobody knows anything about it, the nope. War of 1812. I've still heard people think that it was fought and ended in 1812. Yeah. Now, uh, the War of 1812, very troublesome to many Americans. There was, as there almost always will be, a divide in the country on the opinions Shocker. about the war. Yeah, right? It's a... Uh, now, the British, they attack D.C. That's what's going to galvanize everybody. So there's a lot of different – we shouldn't go to war with Britain, blah, blah, blah. We can't afford this. But then they invade and burn, you know. Burn your capital. Yeah, and you're just like, all right, these guys <laughs> yeah. are dicks. So. <laughs> yeah. But galvanizes the war effort and Irving actually goes off to do his patriotic duty. Uh, Irving saw little to no combat and his family's merchant business was nearly destroyed during the weird embargoes and hardships of the war. It got so bad that America's foremost author of the time – is now forced to move to England and does not return to the United States where he's born. He is born in America. There right, is no he's an American born and born and raised, mm -hmm. and now he's uh, off to uh, off to England. And not just for a little uh, trip. He's gone for seventeen years. Yeah, America's best author is now being uh, imported, if you will. It's like when uh, they got the the British kid to start playing Spider Man, and uh, Andy <laughs> Samberg was talking about it on Saturday Night Live. He goes, "I can't believe." That Spider-Man, uh, we just lost Spider-Man as a job to immigrants. <laughs> but now uh, while he's over in Europe, Irving actually declined several jobs that would have had him return uh, back to the States because he wanted to keep up with his writing career. He goes, listen, I, I'm having some success here. We're doing stuff like this. While staying with his sister and brother-in-law uh, brother at their estate in, Dad, you know, you say it. Go ahead, Birmingham. Arthur. Birmingham. 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 Peaky Blinders territory. Peaky Blinders. Which, I like but, this guy's last name though, Van Wart. Van Wart, yeah, that's a that's a rough one. It's a. I imagine you have a daughter. Yeah, but there again too. I mean, he's he's a a known writer, but now he's still going over to England, but he's staying with his sister and brother-in-law, so he's still still with the family to uh, help, help support him, kind of a thing. Kind of like uh, you know, when you go to a spot down at Uncle Vinny's and you have to stay on your uh, aunt's couch downstairs. Yeah, you know? kind of like that, Kevin. That's what, I'm, I'm not saying I just came from there, but I just came from there. Moving so. in with 
the fami- the family exactly the extended family. <laughs> but uh, while he's over there, he's uh, he winds up writing uh, the short story that ensures his legacy. So he's a hit right now already. But this one's going to be the one that people are studying and still talking about forever. And a lot of the stuff that he puts into his stories is stuff that's still being explored in like small character arcs for movies, TV shows, and, and even current literature. He's going to write old Rip Van Winkle. The story would take place in the mystical cat skills of his youth and uh, was very rich in, again, like you said, Dad, the Dutch folklore that he borrows heavily from that, combines a little bit of English stuff in there, too. You know, And Rip Van Winkle, if you don't know, it's a guy who uh, falls asleep out in the woods. I think he, he stumbles upon like the mountain men, if you will, which is like uh, you know, kind of these mischievous creatures out in the woods, the, uh, the, the mythical cat skills. Uh, takes a nap and wakes up a uh, hundred years later. No, 20, no, twenty years later. Twenty years later. Yeah. Twenty years later. It, I read that it kind of got blended with Sleeping Beauty a little bit, so people get confused with how many years he fell asleep. There for. you go. Yeah, in the story with uh, Rip Van Winkle, Rip falls asleep for twenty years. But what was interesting is that Rip fell asleep before the American Revolution and wakes up after the American Holy Revolution. Holy shit! So, <laughs> the whole new, the whole new country and everything's going on and or a what? Uh, there was a lot of parallels to uh, Rip's experience of falling asleep for twenty years and Washington Irving's experience of coming back to America after being in England for. 17 years and how things have changed in the 17 years since he <laughs> since he last left uh, you know that um familiar haunts were no no longer there um but he was just going on on memory from the the cat skills of growing up there as a youth in Tarrytown. I leave Wayne for a year and it's totally different. Totally different. Right? Yeah, uh, they should burn that town. The rail line in Route 46 and all kinds of crazy. I'm just happier below the Driscoll Bridge. It is what it is. <laughs> there you go. So. That's for people who live here in Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Jersey has a lot of pride because uh, it's mostly Stockholm Syndrome. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so Rip Van Winkle is a huge hit, right? But that is combined. It's a short story collection. So this is really cool because Washington Irving is America's first real short story writer. And that's my favorite genre to write in because you don't have to have a, a, a huge arc. You can take some chances. You can end things abruptly. You know, it's you don't have to work at it as long. Writing a full book is crazy. But uh, anyway, uh he includes that and also another uh, little tale, Carrie, known as Sleepy Hollow. Never He's heard a- of that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These are part of his collection entitled uh, another one here. I thought this guy loves his pen names. The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon, Gent. Gentleman. Yep. Yep. Gentleman. Gentleman Jeffrey Crayon. My name is Crayon, sir. <laughs> Jeffrey Crayon. Yeah. I'm a writer. <laughs> but- Crayola? Exactly. <laughs> kind of. Well, uh, this book is a massive success and launches Irving into the stratosphere of being a literary celebrity. He's also viewed as a hero in America, okay? Because they're like, "Hey, see, America, we got a writer. We can do some cool shit over here." Yeah, Irving, he's from you know, he's from New York. He's one of us. But over in Europe, he's considered an anomaly because they're like, "Oh my God, I can't believe that a, a, an American is able to write well in English." Damn Americans! Yeah. So. But he was kicking ass with he was the uh, man of letters if you will so he's quite popular over there but uh the biggest problem uh of the time that is going to directly impact old washington irving is due to copyright infringement or uh, what's known i thought this was a great term literary bootleggers <laughs> yeah okay much like my hilarious jeffrey epstein mean there are bastards out there like trash can paul that will just take other people's work and pass it off as their own published it for profit so i'm not angry but uh, Irving would spend the rest of his life fighting for stricter copyright laws and for the recognition of writing as a full-time profession. So here's the, like, again, this happened too. This happened with the podcast. Some jackass took our show 
our first episode and put it up on um, YouTube and just put a picture of uh, uh, Grover Cleveland up. And so just no credit, doesn't mention my name, your name, doesn't mention the name of the show. He just called it American Loser Grover Cleveland. And I had to sit there, I had to report it to YouTube because I, I tried writing to the guy with some like uh, somebody over in, uh, in India. And I remember trying to figure out what to do with all that. And I had to ask people and, and because of copyright laws, same kind of shit that Washington Irving is fighting for here. See that? Up. You're in good company, Kevin. Exactly. It's, I like to think of myself You call as, this guy a loser? He <laughs> saved your <that's>, podcast. <laughs> he's working on it. Um, but I thought that was uh, worth mentioning, too. Now, uh, Irving's going to wind up over in Spain. Yeah, and, before he goes over there, though, while he's still in England, um, he starts to understand how there's English uh, law that's going to help protect um, some of the writers there with, with uh, stronger copyright infringement and that type of a thing. So, you know, intellectual property, copyrights, whatever you want to call it. He's always been a very strong proponent of that. And it was through um, some uh, friendships that made while he is in England that really allows him to become successful. Um, those same protections weren't really in place just yet back home in America, but uh, in England it was. So, it allowed him really to start to make some money on some of his writing. And that's important that you mention that too. So thank you. Because uh, again, if you get something published in England, then you have those laws in place for you over here. America is still kind of the Wild West in terms of uh, the ideas of property and printing and all that other nonsense. Yeah. Any, so someone could take his story. Just, right. Any publisher could just take a story and, uh, hey, that's, this is pretty good. I'm going to make a couple of bucks on this by publishing it. Not having any kind of royalty or anything have to be paid to the artist that actually created it. Um, it's and the, off we go. Uh, it's like getting paid an exposure in comedy, right? So, <laughs> well, uh, he winds up over in Spain uh, because he gets uh, an invitation to uh, come study in the uh, this now public library uh, with a very, very deep uh, catalog, if you will, all about Spanish history and particularly about the conquest of the Americas by the Spanish. Which of course gets um, everyone always just tries to say the Puritans came over here and they uh, they you know sold blankets with smallpox on we killed all the neighbor. Spanish history in America is goddamn fascinating. That's your Montezuma, your Cortez. Um, there's a reason why uh, almost like a third of the planet speaks Spanish. You know what I mean? They they were a busy people, <laughs> so had to be some good readings on that too. This leads to several more historical books that. Uh, Old Irv's going to take a crack at here. And I thought this was definitely worth noting. He writes a biography. Um, do you know who he wrote the, the biography about? It's not who you'd suspect. Christopher Columbus. Well. That uh, was one of them. One of them. Christopher Columbus. And then also he writes about uh, the prophet Muhammad. Yeah. It's called uh, Muhammad and His Followers. And it's uh, pretty interesting that uh, a hmm. American-born uh, author uh, is going over to Europe. And then he's writing the first you know, major account, if you will about uh prophet muhammad Muhammad. well because spain has a lot of um you know very deep history spain spanish culture and history does not get the um the deep dive that it deserves history wise because there's some cool architecture over there you had the moors that were coming in you had all sorts of stuff going on but very kind of a cool vibe over there um now he's going to dive into european affairs uh both political and uh and writing wise right and he's, uh, it's actually, the more he continues to do this, he winds up alienating some of his own fans. So people are starting to be like the Americans, like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's, um, remember when Madonna had a British accent because she married Guy Ritchie? All of a sudden, she just reinvented <laughs> herself as British. And there's like, what the fuck? This chick's from Michigan, dude. <laughs> yeah. but, um, 
But yeah, that's pretty much what's going on with him now. He's hanging out in the he's a high society Europe guy and the Americans are just sitting there like, oh, yeah, Irving. Yeah. Yeah. I remember him when he was, uh, you know, back in the day, he used to just be living down in the village. You know, he's a kid from Manhattan or whatever, trying to sit up there and pretend he's high society, probably smoking a very long cigarette. You know what I mean? And uh, drinking. Yeah, we used to we used to do pints with him down in the village, didn't we? Yeah, we used to do cider, man. We used to have a couple of beers. Now this guy's, you know, he's got a, a, a brandy now sifter. Now he's tidy with the hoi polloi. Yeah. So, <laughs> hey, uh, Kerry did mention though about the whole thing that he wrote on Christopher Columbus, which is true. And uh, I can remember growing up as a kid that uh, we were always taught in school that Christopher Columbus was the guy that proved that the world was uh, flat. Okay. You want to get into this now? Okay. Yeah, we can get into that now. Yeah, I don't go you, for it. You had it down later on or what? Uh, uh, it was going to come up towards the very end here, but the, the idea, the myth, if you will, of um, the flat earth is very interesting. Now, there's other people listening to this podcast who are like, it's not a myth, it's real. The earth's flat. <laughs> yeah, it really is. But no, um, yeah, it was attributed to uh, Washington Irving uh, recounting the tale that uh, Christopher Columbus proved to the world that uh, it's not flat, that the world is round. Uh, when you really start scratching at it, um, they already already had manufactured globes of a round world. What wasn't really understood at the time was just how big the earth really was. But uh, everybody knew, anybody with any kind of intelligence realized that the world was not flat. It was round, but it was... Just an under, uh, misunderstanding. Just called a lot of people out there. Yeah. All those flat earthers. Are you telling me Kyrie Irving doesn't know what he's talking about? <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. So, You're going to get a lot of hate message now. Oh, the Patreon numbers are going down. Hate mail, so, hate mail. <laughs> I think you need to fire him. It's uh, Yeah, who would have thought that dad would be the one that would get us canceled? So, Sorry. It's, <laughs> just trying to set us straight. the flat earthers. That's right. Well, get a load of this one. This one was worth um, a little bit of attention here. Uh so he's around in high society Europe. He's pretty much a celebrity and he's attempting aggressively to court a young woman uh, unsuccessfully. Uh, she's, I believe, 18 years old. Um, she's a, the daughter of a, a socialite who's quite fond of him and like, oh, Washington Irving's here. And it's, you know, what girl doesn't want to marry a middle aged writer when you're 17? I, I just want to go to prom at that point. <laughs> but um, so around this time now, he tries to propose to her. She turns him down. Right. And then he's, you know, a little bit scoffed at that, too. And he had had a fiance that passed away, um, you know, in his earlier years. And so he's not really very successful with love here. But while he's over there, there's a, a woman who uh, she's also a writer and she makes it known that she's got a little bit of a desire for a relationship with Irving. And Irving never pursues um, his chance with her. Uh, the woman's name was uh, Mary Shelley. Any idea what she wrote, Carol? Uh, yes, and it's not coming to my my head. Ming knew it right away. It was uh, go ahead, Ming. Tell the good people at home. Uh, I believe she wrote a book uh, based on uh, Frankenstein. Yep, Mary, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Frankenstein, absolutely. So, and for some reason, the uh, the lovely lady who wrote a story about a reanimated corpse made out of body parts from people <laughs> wasn't really getting a whole lot of love back from old Irv. Yeah, Irv wasn't about it. Irv passed, and she was she would have been the original big titty goth girlfriend. That's. <laughs> Mary Shelley shops at Hot Topic. You heard it here on American Loser. There you go. Then it's like the headless horseman and Frankenstein are like. Yeah, you'd think they'd be like, hey, aren't you all fucked up too? Yeah, we should talk about this. No, nope, he wasn't into it. But um, though yeah, he was he was engaged previous and uh, she died of tuberculosis and he really never got over that. That uh, 
that haunted him, if you will, for years later. Maybe maybe Shelley would have been a good thing for haunting, but uh, you'd think, yeah, right. Yeah. But uh, I died of tuberculosis uh, in uh, Oregon Trail Two, right outside of Salt Lake. <laughs> Many <laughs> times, yeah. <laughs> Reset. Yep. Oh damn it! Uh, I just kept dying of dysentery. That's. <laughs> It is. Oh, I was going to say, if you had to pick, though, I would go with tuberculosis over dysentery. Jeez, that just means yeah. you're crapping yourself to death. I know. That's right. That's, <laughs> well, That's uh, how we make it through life. Dehydrate yourself out of the back end. Gross. Yeah. So, well, though not having lived in America for nearly 20 years at this point, Irving still sees himself as an American and involves himself in many political issues of the day. He winds up holding uh, several posts. One is like a liaison of sorts between um, he works for both England and for Spain. And he winds up making friends with future presidents, such as uh, John Tyler, and uh, who had an episode about him, and uh, Martin Van Buren, who was one of the... Uh, he's overdue for an episode, actually, because um, they blamed every bad thing that Andrew Jackson did, just Martin Van Buren gets blamed for. But uh, when Most Irving... his hair. Yeah. Well, he's uh, Martin Van Buren. It's not exactly an endearing name either. When you look at a picture of the guy, you're just like, yeah. this guy's kind of a nerd. So um, when Irving returns home, and by home, I mean the United States... He purchases a cottage that would become uh, the iconic and still standing structure that you can visit today, known as Sunnyside. Yeah. So I found a little cool thing about that. So he bought it for eighteen hundred dollars. Not bad. Which, if you adjust for inflation, you're buying a house for forty five thousand dollars. Really? Yep. Well, I would have thought it'd been a bit higher than that, but it's it a beautiful up. place too. We're talking New York real estate too, baby. All right, there's nothing to. We should pull it up on Zillow, see what it's priced for. <laughs> But yeah, the so upkeep is ample, though. So he gets a decent deal on the house. And by the way, to be able to purchase a, a manor off of your writing, I mean, this guy's made it. You know what I mean? It's not it's not like Edgar Allan Poe where he's well known, but he's not uh, he's not profiting off it. Old Irv is profiting here. Yeah, so. he's he's making some bucks for sure. And uh, that home, Sunnyside. Um, yeah, I found the same thing that it was purchased for eighteen hundred bucks back in eighteen thirty five. So I don't know what the inflation would be, but uh um, there was another writer, Oliver Wendell Holmes. You might have heard of him. Mm -hmm. um, he he said that next to Mount Vernon was the best known, uh, um, one of the most uh, best known dwellings in all of uh, America. That uh, uh, it was quite the place to way to, to visit. shit on Monticello, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and to be invited to uh, Sunnyside meant that you were you were something to. You oh know, yeah. He he had a lot of uh, authors and writers and everything else uh, come visit him at, at Sunnyside. He loved the place. Well, how could you not? It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Ming just brought it up in the background there too if you want to take a gander at it. Yep. But, uh, it it's still, the area around it is really nice too. Yeah. Oh, that whole area that is That whole gorgeous. area is beautiful. Right on the, the river. Yep. And uh, it's, uh, again, like I said, just uh, right around the corner is Lynnhurst Manor, one of the most beautiful mansions I've ever seen in my entire life. So it's, it's a good place to be up there, you know? But uh, the upkeep is ample on this place. I mean, he's got some money. And he, he can't be living off of just his fame right now. So he winds up taking a job again, uh, working as a... Actually, there was a, a paper that he wound up writing for that was called the Knickerbocker, actually, in his honor, that he wound up being an editor for and a contributor. So, um, But a lot of his... Work at Sunnyside is where he's going to do a lot of his other great works. Um, and again, he wanted to live up there in the area where Rip Van Winkle took place, where Sleepy Hollow took place, right? 
Uh, Washington continues to write, this time making treks and trips all around the American frontier, in part due to the curious you know, nature of just being a writer. You got to experience stuff in order to get out there and do stuff, but also to quell the doubts um, that uh, this hard-scrabbled American had gone dandy while over in Europe. Yeah, they thought he was a little soft. Now, this guy's health wasn't all that great either. So for him to go out west at, at that time and try to experience um, the Western frontier or the American Western frontier was uh, quite the challenge. But uh, yeah, he had he had some uh, some people believe that he was a little too soft. To kinda... You know who called him a pussy? <laughs> Classic Jersey move, too, by the way. Classic Jersey move. Uh, the greatest book I've ever read. It's uh, There's a couple of them, um, but my personal favorite, uh, Last of the Mohicans, written by James Fenimore Cooper, who uh, we kindly thank him for writing the greatest novel in American history by uh, naming a toilet on the side of the highway after him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get a rest stop. Yeah, exactly. You get a rest stop. You get a rest stop. Everybody gets a rest stop. Well, that could that's because uh, I took you to uh, Ticonderoga and where the, the place setting of The Last of the Mohicans. That so. Burned a hole in my head that has never been filled. <laughs> Sorry again, for sir. that, but uh, yep. There you go. I'll make you so pay you for it one podcast at a time. That's, That's right. <laughs> Sins of the father. It's the truth. But Mom um, just wanted a beach. That's right. If you put can find a fort the, near a beach, put me on the sand. <laughs> well, uh, James Fenimore Cooper actually called him a bit of a pussy. He's like, oh yeah, he went soft. You know what I mean? So in order to answer that, Irving winds up going out. He's even. I think he's as far out as the Rockies uh, at some point too. But he continues to write and serves as an American minister to Spain, where the politics start to wear him down tremendously because he knows people in Spain, right? He's got friends over there, and now he understands that that there's a civil war going on over in Spain. So I'm just going to back up a a smidge. Um, He actually was approached for advice from young authors throughout the years, Mm -hmm. one of them being Edgar Allan Poe. Yep, and uh, which is- You want to talk about what a miserable fuck Edgar Allan Poe was. He uh, he actually asked him for advice uh, and gave him uh, a sample of the fall of the House of Usher and asked for notes and edits. And from what, all I can tell, Washington Irving encouraged him because he was very good to all the writers. Keep doing what you're doing here. Maybe work on it on this way. Maybe do this. Maybe do that. And then Edgar Allan Poe, who was one of the first paid critics in uh, American history uh, for literature, uh, he wrote... Uh, Knowing he, he goes, I want to give him full credit. Washington Irving deserves full credit for everything he accomplished, but he is so overrated. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Edgar, this is why this is why your friends got to write your um, uh, obituary, obituary because right. you didn't have any. Nobody right. liked you. <laughs> Just a fucking and bummer of a party. And also another loser reception. Exactly. Um, check that one out, too. That was uh, Cousin Kelly came on for that one, who uh, once uh, COVID is over, wants to come back on. But uh, I can't really have people zooming in for uh, this show. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Just get her the big giant hamster bubble. It could be done. It's uh, it'd be difficult getting in and out of the elevator, but no, nah, just roll her. <laughs> well, uh, yes, issues are going on with Spain. We're keeping our eye on Spain. Spain's going to be yeah. Uh, Spain's a mess right now, and there's um, and Dan Sickles me. hasn't even gotten over there yet. No, and another loser reception. Dan Sickles arrives in Spain to try to straighten some things out, and ends up banging the deposed queen. <laughs> Another episode you really ought to tune in on. That's uh, one of our best. So got a little distracted. That's don't we all? <laughs> yeah. Hey, shit, it happens. It's um, we're uh, we're doing great on time here too. But I, I want to uh, set you guys up because both you guys know some other stuff that I want to make sure that we get a chance to get to. But uh, writing papers, I'm sorry, writing and contributing to papers. Again, that one named the Knickerbocker after his honor. Irving's able to overcome some bad investments and keeps up with his beloved Sunnyside Manor, which is to call it a cottage is a. Uh, um, you know what I mean? It, it's it's definitely not a cottage. It's more of a manor, if you really will. But um, a small manor. 
It's quite it's, nice. It is, yeah. but it's not. Yeah, it's kind of like a Newport cottage, though. It's, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's, it's not this big, sprawling big, yeah, mansion. It's not a two-room cottage. I, I think it's because Lynnhurst Manor is right down the road. That that's why yeah, you don't want to call it that. Dwarfs so it. Exactly. Yeah. And there's also Van Cortlandt Manor, which is another uh, famous uh, historical site up there as well. Uh, the whole yeah. place is historical, man. Right. Get up there. Uh, visit them. Great beers up there. Uh, you're in cider country, too. That's uh, Goshen, New York is actually where... Um, uh, the, the apples came from for Ross Brewing's Harvest Cider, which the keg kicked over here, John. So get back to it. Ming needs his booze. So. <laughs> That's right. But uh, he uh, his fame continues, as does his correspondence, well into his 70s, by the way. So this kid who had his first go at writing at age 19, he's writing every day of his life. He's well into his 70s now. He's world famous. Uh, he becomes an American treasure and starts doing like, you know, they start bringing around like Levon Helm almost. They started bringing Levon Helm around again because they knew his health was in decline. So it's like, let's get a chance to talk to this guy, this guy who lived it, this American icon. So he's getting invited to a lot of the good parties. It's getting very stylish to be seen over at Sunnyside Manor. Um, and again, things are going to continue on here. Uh, he actually starts writing what he decides is going to be his masterpiece, um, a diligent passion project, a full biography of the life of his namesake, father george washington so and he writes his he writes his little ass off man uh about eight months after he finishes that what he intends to be his masterpiece and it is one of the great written records of uh, washington's life and it was done with painstaking care because obviously that washington was very important to washington irving you know as he's important to the entire country but uh, about eight months after that on uh, november 28th 1859 at age 76 Washington Irving uh, says, oh, I must arrange my pillows for another night. When will this end? And then dies in his sleep. Boom. They suspect heart attack. So, yeah, now that uh, George Washington uh, thing, I think that was a four volume set kind of a thing. So oh, this yeah. wasn't any little uh, term paper kind of a thing. This nope. Was, this, this was a, his, his major work. Not quite sure. a podcast. No, <laughs> no. But dies in Sunnyside, right? As we're, uh, we're getting ready to uh, stick the landing here. Um, but dies at Sunnyside, November 28th, bummer, right after Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it's that, that weird feeling where you're like, oh, it's, it's just, I eat too much. I just need to take a nap. No, you had a heart attack, dude. You're dead. So, but uh, he is buried, uh, eulogized, and celebrated by a large crowd uh, at his grave in Sleepy Hollow, New York. Okay. Um, and like I said, he did draw some uh, criticisms. Uh, you know, from some people, because a lot the knock on Irving was like we said, he would take a story, he would take. I'll try to put this in comedy terms. He would take a hack joke, and then put his own little spin on it and try to present it as. But for clearly, he was a great writer. You know what I mean? Because he was able to take. Imagine if we didn't have his spin on Sleepy Hollow. What would the the story be? We wouldn't right. even know. Right. So and to that to that end too, um, in doing the research, you find out how, what an influence he had on American even modern day culture that the whole. Uh, Halloween spookiness, the headless horseman, and everything else. If you remember in the book, uh, in that story, the headless horseman actually throws his head, which turns out to be a pumpkin, at Ichabod Crane. And then now that whole jack o' lantern thing is, uh, you know, everywhere you look at this time of the year, there's jack o' lanterns so everywhere. Next time you have pumpkin spice anything, you right. realize that you're casually making a reference to Washington Irving. So, and what well, I thought, looked up. There you go. <laughs> not only with Halloween, though, too, that uh, uh, Washington Irving had a major influence on the way we we view Christmas. Yep. Because back in his time, Christmas wasn't the major holiday that uh, it is today. That uh, um, 
there was a lot of different cultures in America that kind of had a blend. Uh, the the uh, English Protestants really didn't celebrate it the same way. There was a uh, uh, a celebration, or there was a, an image that he created in going back to that history of New York. Um, he made a casual another one of his little pranks that's turned into a big thing. Here. Right, that he took what was a Dutch German type uh, image that uh, of uh, our modern image of Santa Claus that at the time he wrote about a man who dreamt that the good St. Nicholas came riding over the uh, tops of trees and that self-same wagon wherein he brings his yearly presents to children. And then later on, other writers, uh, Dickens and a few of the others. Who, who was were a friend in, of his, by the way. That were a friend of his. Now, Dickens was much younger. I think Dickens was only like eight years old when Washington Irving wrote that. But definitely there was a lot of influences on that about some guy with a long beard bringing presents to kids once a year and flying over the treetops. Washington Irving had him in a wagon. Um, you Just know, a casual mention, too, in one right. of the short stories. And we've turned it into the whole legend of modern into, Santa Claus. Uh, went into a sleigh and everything else that uh, uh, that whole thing uh, was was turned around. And then Courier and I started doing lithiographs of the, of the whole of that image. And then you bring in Coca-Cola with the, with the, the red Santa holding up the uh, – the Coca-Cola or Driving the Pepsi. the Mercedes. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's like when people try so. to tell you uh, Christmas just gotten too commercialized. It was entirely commercialized. That's it, man. All this uh, based off of a wild, weird idea from him. Also, that the idea of a big Christmas dinner, that was something that he was noticing over in Europe, that that was kind of a tradition that had fallen right. off. But him bringing that back, now that's why, oh, we get it's the holidays. Everyone has to get right, together. It's the, it's the old style Christmas that he was bringing back, that he kind of experienced, I guess, while he was over in England. Even the whole thing with the uh, uh, the mistletoe, that was a little-known tradition until Washington Army started um, drumming that whole thing up with mm -hmm. the mis mistletoe and hanging the mistletoe and all that kind of thing. Uncle Paulie has a mistletoe belt buckle. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me, actually. Nope. Um, Coattail. <laughs> uh, also, just because you guys are here, and I know she's a listener, she's uh, one of the, the members of the Patreon as well. Cousin Megan always has um, everyone over for Christmas Eve. And uh, if she makes me play Santa Claus again this year, I have a game plan. It's an idea that you here on American Loser get to hear first as we're wrapping up. Um, I'm going to come in as Santa Claus, right, to, to you know give presents out to the kids and everything like that. Then Carrie's going to light a firework in the backyard. And then I'm going to have a squib put on me and I'm going to shoot blood out of my chest. And I'm going to say, you guys were so bad. You killed Santa Claus. <laughs> Who killed Santa? We'll have to do it. We'll, you know, we'll that's kill off the, the character. That's yeah. it. It's like be, be like a murder mystery kind of thing. That's how we're going to get away with it. So nice. who could it be? We're going to hide a gun somewhere in the house. That's <laughs> I like it. It was Uncle Lola. Matt in, with a candlestick in the living room. I was going to say Lola. It's <laughs> well, with the um, dog bone. Did you guys have anything else you want yeah, to say? Yeah, I got to throw in because we really haven't spoken about a, a strong Jersey connection Hit here me. on this one. So we got we got to we have to do this a little state pride here. Um, one of the things that he wrote about um, is a, a real place. It's called Communipa. Uh, uh, Communipa was an old Dutch settlement. It was one of the first. It was really before New York City, and it was credited as the egg from whence was hatched the mighty city of New York. So, Communipaw 
which we now know as a section of Jersey City, <laughs> is uh, the setting for one of Washington Irving's um, stories, uh, where he talks about this old Dutch tavern, this rundown old place called the House of Four Chimneys. And one of the stories that he wrote was the guests from Gibbet Island. Uh, Gibbet Island is an island that's in uh, Upper Newark Bay. Uh, it was also the site of uh, state executions uh, that a lot of pirates and stuff were, were hanged on the gallows uh, on Gibbet Island. Um, and then one of the characters within this guests from Gibbet Island, it's a ghost story that these hung pirates come back to haunt this tavern. And uh, it's written supposedly by a character that Washington Irving created, Jan Joost Vanderskamp. Vanderskamp. <laughs> and Vanderskamp is actually... The inventor of Scampi? Yeah, no, That's no. He close. was a character that Washington Irving created that was really portraying Captain Kidd, which this whole story led to everybody searching up and down the East Coast looking for Captain Kidd's treasure. Uh, but what I thought was pretty cool- This guy cool, and his goddamn pranks. Right? <laughs> yeah. What I thought was pretty cool, the, the guests from Gibbet Island. Now, Gibbet Island was a real place. Uh, it was later renamed to Ellis Island. Holy, Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. How cool is that, right? Ellis Island. So they used That's to hang a very pirates. long circle for that. <laughs> but I, mean, but I a, appreciate it. Yeah, man. There's so, some people at home listening, right? Like, like, you know, I think Stu just fell off the elliptical machine. <laughs> yeah. And Communipaw, Communipaw, it's not because the path train will take you from Jersey City into uh, the commuters into New York City. It's uh, It was a real place. It was part of Bergen County and huh. an, Ming brought it up right away, right behind you. In, yeah. An unincorporated section of New Jersey. There you go. Of Jersey City. Jersey City. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, but what's what's it? But in? I thought that I was cool. Gibbet Island is now known as uh, Ellis Island. That Jesus. Cool. <laughs> That's fantastic, man. This was great. Um, Kerry, do you have anything you want to say on the way out? I do. Um, I'll make it a little shorter than, than that long story. Uh, sorry. sorry, Dad. That's um, the way I roll. I know. So uh, if you make it up to Sleepy Hollow, uh, obviously they have a cemetery. Uh, there's a couple different sections to the cemetery. There's the older section, which he's buried in. Uh, very nondescript headstone. You would never pick it out other than the fact that it's a white headstone amongst some really darker black ones. Cool. Um, they do make it stand out with an American flag. It is part of the, if you take a cemetery tour, yes, that sounds weird, especially at night with a lantern. Um, it is part of the walking tour of the cemetery. Um, but the cemetery is also home to well-known people such as Elizabeth Arden, the cosmetic company, hmm. um, Andrew Carnegie, uh, the Chryslers, um, and Alexander Hamilton's uh, a couple of his kids. Um, but they're in a... You can see a stark difference between where Washington Irving is and then you walk up the hill and then you see all these like gigantic mausoleums that are like millions of dollars and but it is a i know this sounds weird a very cool cemetery <laughs> uh they actually one of your favorites top five cemeteries yeah, no it is yeah. it is it's That's, very scenic uh, there um but quiet think, neighbors too yeah <laughs> um it's just very cool to see the the difference between like washington irving's headstone and then you go a little further into the into the um timeline and you get like Andrew Carnegie who really just has 
it kind of looks like the Washington Monument, just a, a very tall pillar with a point. Well, Carnegie Obelisk. had a couple of bucks. I'm going to go Obelisk. ahead and say. Yeah, there you go. And then you got like Rockefeller and uh, Chrysler who have these like gigantic garage size mausoleums that you could probably park a car in. I believe it. That's a <laughs> um, but what else is cool about the cemetery to tie it into the legend of Sleepy Hollow? You, or you got like horse hooves on the ground, things like that. There's a newer part of the cemetery, newer than like Rockefeller, Chrysler, um, where they built a wooden bridge that when you drive over in their carriages, sounds like the sound of a, a horse hoof going across the bridge. <laughs> well, that's cool. I don't know how they did it, but it, it you do actually sound Special like you're effects. going across Special with hood, effects. Uh, uh, horse See, hooves. Cool. Yeah, that whole area is is so big in, into Halloween uh, from October through November. I would just like to throw out too that uh, there's a uh, something up there called the Great Jack-O-Lantern Blaze that uh, you can at go Van check. At Van Cortland Manor. At Van Cortland Manor <laughs> that there's like over 7,000 illuminated uh, jack-o'-lanterns that you can visit and it, yeah and different themes to it even with it's covid they're still they're still having that but you got to go by reservation kind of a thing to limit the the throngs of people that would normally take that in but it, it sounds like it's a very cool uh one, very cool thing have you guys been to that um yeah, yeah we have uh one more thing i want to plug about sleepy hollow if you ever make the trip up there which we encourage everybody to anytime we talk about a place on here that uh, you, you can go out i know alex alvarez goes to a bunch of them i think uh matt delzell has gone out to a couple of spots too anybody who can go check these things out go do it man it's uh it's go half the it. joy of it um i know sleepy hollow usually has a block party around this time of year that i've been to um it is actually pretty cool it's just a you know food truck kind of event um, but it is cool just to like walk around the town. You, they got the um, the haunted hayrides going and you actually go through the ah. cemetery. So that's kind of cool. Um, but one place I want to plug because they have really great food. It's just kind of like this hole in the wall dive bar kind of thing for like the locals is <laughs> called JP Doyle's. Really good food. Try the shepherd's pie. Um, <laughs> but they also make their own beer which is also really good. Ah, that's how you found it. Uh, <laughs> it isn't actually, but uh, uh, but they do have really good food. So go check that place out. Fair enough. Then. I want to plug that one. That'll be that's, response That's worth month. it. I would hope. Yeah. <laughs> now they're probably doing some business right now, man. But this was awesome. We don't have to tell you guys uh, what to do on the show here because this is the founding losers. We get to play to the home crowd. You guys are extremely good to us. You're very, very generous. We hope that we've, um, I, I mean, People are sticking around. We're getting more losers all the time here on the uh, the Founding Losers, if you will. We're about to hit that first number. There is merch that's coming your way. So I want to go ahead and say thank you again for all that you guys do. I don't have to plug the show to you. You already know the show. You are the show. You're the reason it exists. Wait, what's the show? Uh, <laughs> the show is called American Loser. It's where uh, right, Kerry right, Burke right. gives references for uh, small you businesses to support the Hudson Valley for 20 area. years or something? Or yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, Someone's uh, got to support small business. Uh, it's true. It's uh, We're out of time, though, so we got to bail on this one, man. Uh, I just want to say thank you very much to Kerry. Great job, as always. Thank Lawrence you. Patrick, thank nice you. little holy shit moment for you at Ellis <laughs> Island there. And uh, thank you to Mike and Ming over to Shared Universe. Always saying great care of us and uh, again thank you to the patreon listeners you guys are the reason the show is still free on tuesday so feel free to check us out my name was kp burke and that was washington irving american loser an american loser the day i was born an american loser the day i was born an american loser the day i was born